Ah. Yep. Let's see if I can. Got it. Wow. Okay. Yep. I'm just going to start recording. Can you pause it? That's a really good question. Let's do this. I'm Kelly, founder of Gauthier Search, a specialist data science and AI search firm. And I'm Greg, former chief data scientist at Channel 4 and co-founder of Memrise. Together, we are excited to present The Data Dig, a new podcast for business leaders, hiring managers, and curious minds. In each episode, we'll dig into, dissect, and debate a new topic within the realm of data science to get informed and make new discoveries together. We might even have a few laughs along the way. Okay, here we go. So Greg, what's inspiring you today? Well, we are running uh, what I call a mad dash. So a two week R&D burst in uh, uh, at the beginning of February. And uh, just the energy of that like really focused, uh, slightly rushed, experimental, almost a moment to play uh, with with a team I really enjoy working with. Um, it's just I can't wait, and I keep having a million ideas in the shower for like stuff we could try, and uh, that, that's feeling very inspirational. That's great. How about you? Well, I'm inspired coming into this week because I spent some time listening to an episode of a podcast that a friend of mine makes called Three Books, and he's uh, his name's Neil, and he interviews some some really prominent figures actually over in North America about the three most formative books they've read in their lives. He uh, he's been doing it a while, and listening to him interview Brene Brown last night just kind of blew me away, and really sort of has made me think I need to elevate my game with our podcast approach here. So I'm feeling inspired and motivated by that coming into this morning. Anyway, cool. Okay, so we're inspired. We're ready to go. The sun is shining. It's Monday morning, and we're here to talk about what makes a great data science team. And also here today with us, we've got. Um, a special guest, our first guest, in fact, ever on the Data Dig, uh, Andreas Giertsch Grover, who's joining us all the way from Switzerland. Andreas is is a, a leader in, in the data science space, was for quite some time here in the UK, having been a team lead and a director of data at companies like Gin, Culture Trip, and uh, most recently, Charlotte Tilbury. Um, so thank you so much for joining us this morning, Andreas. Well, thank you very much for having me. Great pleasure to be here. So I guess I thought we'd talk today about what makes for a great data science team. And I thought we'd focus on this from an organizational angle. How can we position the data science team for success? How can we hire the right blend of people? Where should it sit in the org chart? So questions for the person who's sitting at one level above the data science team. And we might at the same time touch on a few kind of questions around how to make that data science team work really well. Andreas, before we start, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to this point. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, so, so actually, my my background is in in physics. I did a PhD in biomedical physics, uh, which is kind of the the first place where I got in contact with machine learning, and it was quite exciting. I did a little stint into management consulting and learned a couple of uh, interesting things, but but actually then wanted to go back into data. Uh, started working with uh, some some different startups, and first, you know, then starting building up a machine learning team in a, in a very kind of technical startup, and then grew through different companies um, and, and now I really build and run data teams that cover everything from BI reporting through to analytics to uh, machine learning, uh, usually across across the business and, and that's kind of what I uh, enjoy doing as well. 
And uh, so if we talk about your most recent team at Charlotte Tilbury, can you tell us a little bit about how that team was structured? Um, where did it sit within the organization? What were the kind of blend of people that you had within it? So actually, when I joined uh, Charlotte Tilbury, uh, they they just went through a big kind of uh, replatform exercise, and they have actually just recently brought in the the tech team in house and built everything in house. Uh, there was no um, data team as such, so I was tasked with building that up. We first uh, brought in some uh, a really talented data engineer and started building up the infrastructure that was necessary for reporting purposes. Even though I had budget for data scientists from the beginning, I made the conscious decision not to hire them immediately because there was a lot of infrastructure work that needed to do. And I didn't want them to come in and, and get frustrated because data might not have been available. And, and actually, this turned out to be um, a really good decision because when we then brought in the data scientists, we had like a good data set for them to get started. And because we already knew a good deal about the data, we could come up with very interesting POCs together with the data scientists. I think through that gradual approach, we could actually bring the company with us and had the full su support of all the uh, stakeholders at all times, um, which overall, overall was very, very helpful. Right. So I've heard uh, people talk in terms of a kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but applied for data science. And that at the bottom, you need your infrastructure and your data to be coming in cleanly. And then on top of that, you might have some reporting and analytics. So being able to ask uh, questions about that data, and only then once all of that's in place, might you consider uh, having uh, modeling and machine learning sitting on top of all of that. It sounds like that's the order in which you laid things out. I personally feel that's actually a really good approach. And I have done it slightly differently before. And that has been a bit more difficult to kind of bring the company along and actually keep data scientists motivated as well. And this way it worked really well for, for everybody involved. And we could always just go full steam ahead with whatever we were doing at the time. Um, and, and that was very helpful. And, and I think the, the important point, though, to mention is, you know, we didn't build out the whole infrastructure, but we built what we needed. And then we started building some data science use cases on top and obviously started to broaden the infrastructure to be able to work with these additional use cases. You know, like the, the whole MVP approach of having the smallest possible product and roll that out so people can start learning how to deal with it and how to work together and then starting kind of scaling it up. Yeah, that sounds like a sustainable way of, of doing things, for sure. So, Andreas, I guess uh, it'd be interesting to compare notes on a couple of questions that have often plagued me. So, for instance, at Channel 4, I was joining a kind of a team that had already been created. And there were some decisions made that I didn't understand at the time, uh, and I came to understand the wisdom of them later. So, for instance, at Channel 4, my boss, Sanjeevan Bala, had made a very conscious decision to separate the reporting and analytics from the modeling and machine learning. Where do you come down on that question? Yeah, it's a very good question. Overall, I personally think it's, it's always great when... Uh, data and, and kind of data professionals sit together or work as closely together as possible because often use pretty much the same data. And if you don't, you kind of duplicate and have all these silos and have all these issues later on. I'd like to, on, from a technical level, have people together in the same team, but then send out analysts and, and data scientists in, into squads and really work with the business and, and kind of try to bridge that gap that way. I understand that that's not always possible and, and due to 
history and, and how things have grown. It might be that you have separate teams, but ideally I, I'd like to have these things together. Right. Okay. So I, I would suggest there are maybe three or four high level org chart questions that any data leader needs to think about. And you've touched on a, a number of them there. I guess I'll start with the reporting question because you've you've made the case for why they they might sit well next to data scientists. It makes sense that they are using probably the same data sets. They're going to need a lot of the same infrastructure. So those are all reasons why you might want them to sit close together. I'll at least make the case for why you might want to separate them. And the biggest reason is reporting and analytics is a cost center and potentially data science, modeling, machine learning uh, should be building products, should be a profit center. That changes everything about the nature of their work, including the rhythm of their work. Instead of being interrupted sort of with 100 new questions a day, your modeling and machine learning people really, for them to be successful, need deep work. They need to kind of sit down, heads down for hours at a time and explore some quite complex ideas that, that require long timescales. So I suppose those are some of the reasons why I might want to separate them, because otherwise your modeling and machine learning people who are often more expensive will end up getting pulled into the business of reporting endlessly. I don't know how you feel about that. It depends very much on, on company and company size and what they do. And I think maybe we can get into that just afterwards. But uh, when I say they should sit in the same team, I can tell you the, the setup at Charlotte Tilbury. We, we had the data team, but as part of the data team, we had a BI team with its uh, own kind of team lead head. And then we had an analytics team with its own head, data engineering team with its own head, and a data science team with its own team lead. They, they sit in the same team. They might be often in similar meetings, but they do have different prioritization processes and, and different ways of stakeholders requesting products and, 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 um, and data. Uh, so BI, for example, is completely independent from that prioritization process. Uh, that data science might have, because exactly as you say, um, data science will most probably have longer uh, projects. They have to sit and think for a longer time uh, and come up with a slightly bigger project. Whereas BI, uh, a request might be some simple data or you know a change to a dashboard, which can be done in a short time. So this, from that point of view, absolutely, definitely separate them. But I would want to want them to be close enough so that they can share the knowledge and and you know help each other out. I wonder, can you explain the difference between BI and analytics? Um, so for me, BI is a lot of the uh, reporting that the business needs on a daily basis. Um, and, you know, for, for Charlotte Tilbury, this would, for example, be, um, you know, specific products sold or revenue uh, per day and, and these kind of numbers. And where the e-commerce team is using dashboards on a daily basis and uh, make, making decisions based on, on that. Um, the the analytics side at specifically Charlotte Tilbury, for example, was more um, to, for example, help the product team understand performance of a specific new product on the website, uh, set up front-end tracking, and maybe do slightly bigger pieces of analysis. But I think it's the reporting, front-end tracking, analysis, these kind of slightly bigger pieces where analytics is, and then it might go over into even data science. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see how those would uh, separate nicely. Thanks very much for explaining. And I guess I can also see how you've set up the team so that, yes, um, uh, everybody's coming under this um, umbrella of director of data and, and, and your team, but you've, you've kind of made quite clear distinctions between the, the people that are asking questions with data and the people who are building products like 
with machine learning uh, modeling uh, and, and separating those two. And I think that, at least for me, makes uh, that that's a critical distinction because otherwise they bleed in and you end up with your most expensive people helping ask and answer questions uh, in a way that ends up being inefficient uh, for the long run for the team. Yeah, and, and that, that, that's absolutely what you want to avoid because, I mean, to some extent, it's, it's too expensive, but also um, people get frustrated and leave, which is then even more expensive. Um, so, so, yeah, absolutely. I never want any data scientist to, to work on any dashboard. <laughs> um, can I just ask, Greg, now that Andreas has painted a fairly clear picture of the strategy behind the build of his team at Charlotte Tilbury, how does that differ from how you inherited your team and then built it out at Channel 4? What differences did you encounter and did you approach it in a similar or a very different way? So the there were some constraints. Our, our data engineering um, function lived inside the technology bit of the business in a separate team. And so the data engineers sat in a completely different bit of the org chart and the building from the data scientists. And so we, we kind of had no common boss, basically, except for the CEO. Uh, I was sort of a little bit jealous of Andreas's setup because it sounds like it would be closer to the ideal where you have your data engineers sitting next to people who'll be consuming the data. And then that's inevitably going to allow more thoughtful and hopefully more responsive changes to, uh, it, it, you know, to the data infrastructure in the light of what it is that the data scientists are trying to do. Often we were in a situation where we'd had to plan up to a year or more ahead with the engineering organization because they had their long-term prioritization and balancing out they were trying to do with budgets. You know, it, it's tricky. There, there are pros and cons, of course. There are some good reasons why you might want data engineers next to the rest of the technology department. But on balance, I, I can see why you chose to set up the way that you did, Andreas. Can, can I actually ask you both a question? Were you working as a centralized data function or as an embedded data function, i.e. were you working in cross-functional teams uh, on projects and products, or were you guys working as a, a center of excellence, if you like, that different parts of the business would come to? Because just for, for our audience's understanding who aren't familiar, there are obviously these kind of beacons of of sort of inspiration in companies like Airbnb and Spotify who set up organizations like this that have proved to be very successful embedding their data scientists into product teams or into squads, if you like. But then there are, I'm sure, lots of examples of companies that have done it in a more centralized way. So if you could each take a turn and explain what approach you took, I think it'd be valuable to hear. So Andreas, do you want to start? For me personally, with data science and, and you know, machine learning and, and what you want to do um, with it as a, as a kind of a data product that you want to roll out. For example, for, for Charlotte Tilbury, it's really important. Uh, what Charlotte Tilbury herself wants to do is when, when somebody comes to her for her to do the makeup, um, you know, she sees the person, um, you know, she can interact with the person, maybe know something about them and can, can give them a really great experience because of her knowledge and, and, and skills, etc. Right. And, and what she wants to do and always stated from the beginning is she wants to put her brain into a computer. So whoever comes to Charlotte Tilbury, be it in a store or online, gets the same kind of experience uh, where we as a data science machine learning team got involved is, is kind of recommendation uh, systems and, and trying to be helpful to, to customers and, and show them products that they might not have been aware, but that work really well with them. Now, having said all that, what that actually means um, from a uh, on, a, on a kind of day-to-day -day basis and developing such a product, there's a lot of knowledge that needs to go into it. So speaking with the people in the company and makeup artists, et cetera, will help you 
get your product much quicker to something very useful. And, and hence, that means you need to speak with them and have that interaction. Um, so what that comes down to is for me, like these products, that means data scientists have to sit in different squads and have to go out and, and speak with people. Uh, it wouldn't have worked if they just, you know, sat in at their desk and were trying to just look at data and, and, and come up with that. I have never achieved the amazing results we actually got. But what I would always say is you might have something like a core team, but people go in and out and depending on the projects and the, and the products that you want to roll out. Interesting. What was your experience, Greg? Well, so I'm a huge fan of the idea of these distributed, self-sufficient teams with a half dozen people containing exactly the blender skills that, that, that they need to really get a job done. And that if you can decouple lots of those small teams, that is the best way for a large organization to operate rapidly and flexibly. I suppose where I ended up with uh, Channel 4 was saying, I think we needed to be centralized for the most part because we were trying to build up our maturity and capability as a team. And so there was a lot of training, a lot of learning from one another um, that needed to happen. As, that's, as we got further and further down that journey, the bigger problem became, okay, how can we build closer relationships with the rest of the business? And so the way that we ended up solving that was um, we had an intern uh, master's graduate program. So people doing a UCL data science master's who are part-time at Channel 4. And so we embedded those master's students uh, in the rest of the business. And they were super smart, energetic, hungry to learn, soaked everything up. And so they built up these amazing relationships with departments around the company. And then when they came back after their secondments, we, we just had this much better relationship because, you know, Ruin had been out for a beer with the advertising team every day for the last three months. And so like, and it was also really smart and had learned loads. And so he was, for instance, the basis of our forecasting project that came out uh, a few months later. So that was the approach we took. We felt that like we needed to be centralized, but we were trying to find ways to kind of pollinate like a kind of tree um, throwing seeds, pollinate um, around the, the rest of the organization. So really interesting that you guys both agree that there are some huge benefits from that center of excellence model, but that it doesn't always prove the most efficient way of building products across a company. So I want to talk a little bit more about the benefits of that center of excellence structure for members of the team. And, you know, I'd like to to mention that when I'm speaking to candidates, one of their biggest motivators is opportunities for growth and learning. And so Andreas, how did you how did you prioritize that in your organization when you were at Charlotte Tilbury and at Culture Trip? How did you make sure that the team was structured in a way that would benefit the development of the members of the team? Uh, absolutely. Great question. So, so there must probably be two parts. Um, I, I think one is, again, you know, like the internal team, the, the center of excellence, if you will, where you would discuss technical things and, and you know, you would do code reviews with, with other uh, kind of data scientists, sometimes engineers, or you might discuss um, algorithms and, and, you know, more, more mathematical problems. So there it's re really useful to, to sit together with uh, people that are as technical as you are and, and you can learn from each other that way. Um, th the other part is the learning how to apply it and what is important to the business. I think that to me also feels like um, an important kind of opportunity to learn from the business. And that's where I would see putting somebody in a squad or somebody closer together with some business teams 
uh, is really useful as well. I think there's always a way to to find that, and definitely it's important to um, make sure that happens. And what about you, Greg? Well, so if you talk to data scientists, pretty much the number one thing they always say is, I'm looking for learning and growth. And it's one of the easiest ways that a company can both retain its data scientists and improve the efficiency of the team is just to really devote time and energy to helping the team develop. Uh, so we uh, we had a, a kind of relatively young team at Channel 4, and so it was especially critical. So I, I saw that question of how do you help the team grow as being pretty much my biggest, most central job. So we spent loads of energy on programs to help people grow from uh, a weekly lab meeting where we discuss a new paper each week to deliberately making everybody do lightning talks uh, for two minutes at a time, explaining something to the rest of the group in a hurry to practice how well we could communicate in succinct ways through to sort of larger scale um, efforts. Like we had entire offsite days every couple of months where we do a mix of uh, seminars, code catters, which are basically like a sort of everybody writes the same program and then we critique each other's to, to sort of collaborative games like mini hackathons where we'd say, okay, guess what? You've got four hours to build a recommendations engine. There's 15 of you go and you'd have to kind of practice doing all of the self-organization and planning that we normally do over three or six months over three or six hours which is obviously a complete mess but extremely instructive because you basically make all the same mistakes but in a tiny fraction of the time and learn from them so we deliberately invested very heavily in that training and development and i think it, it created a really kind of positive culture you need of course a, a, a real psychological safety though because what you're effectively doing is trying to make more mistakes and in front of each other. And if, if, if you don't have a happy, uh, supportive culture, that can just be incredibly stressful. Um, so you need to do both at once. I suppose that would be my, that would be the thing about that period that felt like it worked best um, and that I was most keen to try and learn from and, and bring to other roles. You guys have both spoken about the ways in which you approach building your teams in quite large organizations from a technical skills perspective, which is enlightening for sure, and also how you deployed the power of those teams into the organization in different circumstances, whether that was working together as a center of excellence or being embedded, working on different uh, product-led teams. What I'd like to know, and I think what a lot of our audience would like to know, is how do you find the right blend of non-technical skills? How can you incorporate the right sort of soft skills in your team with an eye always on things like, of course, diversity and a range of years experience and maturity and um, also just a range of perspectives when it comes from industries and academic backgrounds. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that, Andreas. So I think when, when building up a team and hiring for new positions, Again, you know, it depends exactly where <clears throat> a team and the company is. In, in a lot of the places that I've been, I've built up a new team, which uh, brings its own benefits. But what that also means is the company might not be very aware what you can do with, with data science and machine learning. So you do need people that can interact and communicate a little bit more. Once you have some people like that, you know, like you can also get some more technical people in that, you know, might be not as good a communicator as somebody else. And for me personally, I always look at the composition of the team. And if you have somebody that is, you know, very good communicator, but maybe technically not that strong, for me, 
Uh, it's then much more interesting to find somebody that is technically very good, but you know maybe not that communicative, and they can learn from each other. And kind of bringing like that good mix of people together is is usually what I look for when I build up a team. Obviously, you know the first kind of people have to fit the immediate kind of purpose um, that you have to uh, kind of fulfill. But after that, I'd really like to diversify uh, in terms of skills and people that I bring in. Yeah, so balance is really the key, right? I mean, you need you need you're not going to get everything from everyone. So it sounds like balancing out different people's strengths and weaknesses is the way to go. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Not least because data science is it's it's an interdisciplinary team sport. There are so many skills that uh, are needed in order to really succeed as a team. So unless you have some people that care about uh, the cohesiveness of the team, some people that care about the aesthetics of the engineering stack, some people that care about building something that users will really, really want, some people that care about the domain of the business, unless you have people who are bringing all of those different perspectives, you're inevitably going to end up with something wonky that's over... That, that, that emphasizes too much of one aspect of the problem. Of course, it's that then gets into really interesting questions about how you hire with that diversity of perspectives in mind. I think that's at least half the answer to the question. And then the other half has to be about how you create a culture within your team that is um, sort of deliberately challenging one another while staying safe and supportive. I think once you can do that, then you're inevitably, if you've got a diverse team that's challenging each other and supporting each other, then you're going to notice a lot of the things that need fixing and come up with solutions for how to do it. Can I ask you guys, just as a bit of a wrap-up question, actually, whether in your leadership experience and in your tasks of, of having built teams over the years, whether there's whether there are any thought leaders or technical leaders in this uh, in the data science space that you look up to, whose strategies and ethos you emulate when you look to build a team or build a function. So I think the the resource that has been most helpful to me is um, a weekly newsletter called Software Lead Weekly, which deliberately brings a bunch of different perspectives of, of technology leaders who are making the transition from being individual contributors to technology to, to leaders um, and, and managers themselves, and also thinks hard about w what it is to um, build a successful team. I think that's been very helpful. The other person I find very helpful is Ben Horowitz. He's a VC, but former, very successful former CEO, who got me thinking about questions like, wh where should uh, different parts of the org chart sit with one another? What's the reason to put things close to one another? It's about um, maximizing the communication between them. Those ideas at a sort of CEO level um, really helped me uh, think about where data science should sit within the organization. Yeah, I actually, I actually have one person that I think is great, and I've uh, I heard him speak before and, and read a couple of things interviews um, with him, and uh, it's the chief data officer of Aldermore Bank. I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce his name, Hani Chwery. Uh, I, I think he's great because um, you know in data science, machine learning, what often happens is you know it's just uh, throwing around buzzwords and and people just say things without you know like understanding what that actually means. And I feel he's he's actually great at just saying how things are. And I think he has also built up a great team through that kind of approach. So that's kind of what I um, what I think is, is uh, great and I, I look up to and try to uh, imitate a bit. 
Well, thank you very much, Andreas. I really appreciated hearing a few things from you there, including uh, the way that you'd structured your team, the distinction between BI and analytics, the value of having all of those different perspectives within one umbrella. All of that made a lot of sense to me. I think it sounds like we agree, all three of us, on the importance of uh, diversity of perspectives, um, because data science is an interdisciplinary team sport. And I feel like we covered a fair amount of ground uh, thinking about data science from the perspective of uh, the org chart, as well as thinking a little bit about what does it feel like to be part of a well-functioning data science team? What is the culture that needs to be in place and how do you develop that team? So we covered a lot of ground. Thank you. And I am pretty excited, I think, in the future to come back to this question of learning and development and how do you encourage and foster growth within a team because it feels like one of the biggest ones and one of the biggest levers that we have as managers. We hope you enjoyed our chat today. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe. As always, we'd like to say a very special thanks to Misha Frankel-Duval for producing our podcast and bringing today's episode to life. Join us again in two weeks' time when we dig into, dissect, and debate a different area of the ever-changing data science landscape. Bye for now.